0: We spend a lot of time on podcasts like this predicting the future in various ways. But as we do that, we know life is really unpredictable. And as the scripture says, we do not, uh, we do not know uh, the number of our days. And that's why it's a really important thing to have a will to protect yourself and your family. Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to walk you through the entire process of creating a will in as little as 10 minutes. You don't have to have a law degree uh, to be able to walk through this, and that's why it's really helpful. So visit morect.com, that's M-O-R-C-T dot will, that's morect.com slash will to get started today. listening to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week here, we explore conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we're talking about listener questions. And before we do, if you have a question about anything, Bible, culture, relationships, current events, maybe an ethical dilemma that you're facing in your family or in your church or at your workplace, anything big or small. Send it to me at questions at RussellMore.com. And don't worry, I'm not going to use your name on the air unless you tell me to. Send those questions to questions at russellmore.com. dot com. And so to start addressing your questions today, we're joined by our producer, Ashley Hales.
1: Well, it is my pleasure to be back on the podcast today as we address some questions and answers with Dr. Russell Moore. I'm Ashley Hales, the producer of The Russell Moore Show, and we are excited to talk about church and leadership and what does it look like to live faithfully as a Christian in today's cultural moment. So thanks so much, Russell, for engaging so many thoughtful questions that have come in from your listeners.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it.
1: So our first question comes from a reader and a listener who is really addressing a lot of these things that I believe your book coming out August 1st, Losing Our Religion. But as we look over this landscape of the American Evangelical Church, are there some examples or microcosms that you would point to that illustrates kind of these divisions going on in the greater American Evangelical Church? So this comes from a listener who works as an executive for a Christian nonprofit, and he's been tasked with walking his board of directors through this conversation and would be so grateful for any places or sources that you might be able to point him towards to begin to tease those different divisions apart. So other than get in your book, where can he go? (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, I, I think the main thing is to realize there's no such thing as the American evangelical church. Mm. Uh, the church is the church, and what evangelical is is a descriptor for a certain kind of revival and renewal uh, movement within mm. uh, the church. And that's one of the reasons why it's so murky and amorphous to uh, mm-hmm. define it. Um, and also because I think what we are what we're seeing happening right now is a fragmentation, and that causes some people to have a sense of uh, vertigo and of fear, because uh, what they're looking for is stability. And what I would argue is that the fragmentation might be God. Doing this, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. and and often what happens is if you think about what revival looks like, it's order, disorder, reorder, and mm-hmm. so often there has to be a pulling apart of some old patterns in order to um, in order to renew, and so I I think that's what's happening right mm-hmm. now. I, I think the main uh, the the main kind of distinction in um, American evangelicalism right now, and maybe it's just because I'm writing about this right now so I have it on my mind, Mm -hmm. but it's a metaphor. Mm -hmm. If you think about the way metaphors really uh, change the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world, it's the, the difference of metaphors of seeing oneself or seeing the church as a prosecuting attorney or seeing oneself and the church as a defense attorney. Hmm. And uh, I I think that there's a sense in which the prosecuting attorney kind of imagery uh, makes sense uh, to people because uh, almost everybody in American culture thinks of himself or herself as a prosecuting attorney uh, for something. And, right, and even right. people who have nothing in common, uh, whether it's the kind of a social justice TikToker who's policing pronouns or the own the libs uh, right winger uh, who on YouTube who's, who's doing that. Who are the bad people and how do we mm-hmm. uh, win over them? Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. problem with that is that's not the way the Bible pictures the mission of the church. And the Bible tells us there's already a really good prosecuting attorney, and that's the devil. (laughs) Yeah. The one who uh, accuses. And what I mean by a defense attorney is that we start with the understanding of John 3.17, that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him the world might be saved. So what a good defense attorney does is not to be a therapist, Uh, for Mm -hmm. the accused. Uh, Instead, what you have to do Mm -hmm. is to say, okay, let's look at the situation you're in and let's deal with that honestly. You know, there there are a lot of really honest conversations going on behind closed doors, but what's the purpose of those conversations? It's in order to see this person be acquitted Not to see that person to be uh, prosecuted. And so I think that that's really what the mission of the church is. Every time that we're dealing with issues of sin and unrighteousness and all of those things, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. And what we're doing is carrying good news and i think that that kind of confidence good news confidence is one of the things that's that's a real difference between mm-hmm. whether you're operating out of a place of fear or whether you really do see yourselves as being on mission mm-hmm. so if if what it sounds like what he wants is to have a um, kind of a diagram that says here's this kind of Christian and that kind of Christian and this kind of Christian. Um, problem is, I don't think that that I don't think that that diagram is worked out yet. Yeah. <laughs> because everything is being shaken up, and yes. and I see that as a as actually a good thing, not a not a comfortable right. thing, but ultimately a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you point to as maybe some of those, you know, those strands in this kind of ecosystem of American evangelical Christianity that has been kind of shaken of, of late? You know, what, what might this leader, as he's leading his board through, um, be able to say, hey, let's look at this box and this box and this box so we at least have a framework a framework for understanding where do we go from here as an organization?
0: Well, I think what really is happening right now is not that unusual, except that we're living in a really uh, fast changing, fast paced mm-hmm. sort of social media kind of environment. But it's it's really what happened uh, in say the 1940s and the 1950s in one sense. Mm-hmm. in which there, there seemed to be two alternatives, fundamentalism and mainline uh, mainline uh, liberal Protestantism. And fundamentalism had, had actually become, had drifted away from the fundamentals. It, it right. actually wasn't fundamentalist, it was instead very separatist, very focused on um, policing a lot of secondary issues, timing of the second coming and uh, and so on and so forth. And so what happened was you have a figure, a Billy Graham, uh, other figures who came in and said, we're going to recover that good news center of what it means to be a gospel Christian. We're going to hold to biblical authority, we're going to hold to the necessity of the new birth. We're going to hold to those things and we're and we're not going to be Angry or scared about it, yeah. we're going to have confidence, and they they went forward with that, using all kinds of new uh, means that wouldn't have been available before. Mm-hmm. And so I think that right now what's happening, and and again this has happened before, a lot of times the the kind of connections that we're making with each other are not in terms of big. Uh, named coalitions with the letterhead. Uh, Often it's in terms of issue by issue by issue. So you will have some people who are finding themselves together because they care about church planting in the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to, to do that together. And then they start to realize, well, we actually have a lot of other things that we are in agreement with, with one another on. Or they, they find that they also have a concern for both gospel and justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you have a, a world that says you got to choose one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying no. Th- those two things go together. Grace and truth go together, uh, and and you find those you find those uh, alliances and those coalitions, but they're they're organic mm-hmm. and they're, they're they're sometimes unexpected and fast changing, and so it's it's better to be open to that and to say, okay, who's the Cornelius that the Spirit's leading me to? <laughs> that I didn't expect. Mm. Um, rather than rather than saying, "Okay, let's just have a meeting and decide what tribe we're in and we're done."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know you're drawing attention to the ways in which these kind of unlikely partnerships might be really the way forward for for the church. Um, I think that's that's exciting for sure.
0: You know, and and one of the things I was just telling a reporter yesterday, uh, he. He quoted to me something that I had said to him last year, uh, in which I said the situation is far worse than I it, even I expected, and I've had a dark view for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I said I wouldn't say that now, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason for that is because I am seeing God doing. Uh, A lot of new things Mm -hmm. taking place. And because one of the things that I'm seeing when I'm out, I mean, I'm with 20-something Christians and younger uh, all the time on campuses and and, and other places. And what's really encouraging to me is that even when you have a sense of desperation about what has happened to the American church, and that's Mm -hmm. almost always there. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that somebody ever says was, "Thank you for making me realize I'm not crazy." First thing, mm. every, every yeah. time, yeah. Uh, is even when that's the case, they're not wanting to win mm. when it comes mm. to their parents or their grandparents. Mm. Uh, instead, these are people who really want to be connected. To mm-hmm. their parents and their grandparents. I mean, that's that's just a, an entirely different thing yeah. than, oh, we're, we're rebels. We're not like the people who came before mm-hmm. us. Even mm-hmm. if it means that there's a, a sharp uh, differentiation, maybe even a fragmentation, but it's a different kind of fragmentation. So mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really cheered by that right now.
1: That is, that is encouraging. You know, and I think that brings us to another question um, that kind of came out of one of our earlier conversations. Um, when we had a and a and the episode title was Church, it's complicated. And this listener writes in and says, he thinks that you have a relatively optimistic view of institutions. So I'll read a little bit of his thinking here. He says his thinking on institutions have been shaped by two streams of thought. The first has to do with powers and principalities that all institutions are both a part of God's good creation and are fallen. And the second stream of thought he, t- he takes from Edwin Friedman's work, Generation to Generation, which uses the insights of family systems theory to look at institutional life in, in the sense that institutions as institutions resist change. So he says, you know, in his own work, he's noticed that good-hearted people who wanted to do the right thing were pushed by their institutions to make some bad choices and to maintain the status quo. You know, in each of these cases, he writes, the default mode of the institution is to protect itself. And he says this, he thinks, is a sign of its fallenness. And yet he wants to know if you could just clarify what are what is your view of institutions? Are you optimistic? What might be a way forward to think about institutions and institutional belonging?
0: That's kind of like asking, "Are you optimistic or pessimistic <laughs> about persons?" Right, uh, right. Because you're dealing with the exact same uh, the exact same phenomenon. Um, it, I'm very uh, optimistic about people because I believe people are created in the image of God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and created for eternity with him. And, and there's extraordinary uh, love and, and flourishing that's found among uh, human beings. And I mean, I'm very pessimistic about human beings. And I know that, um, that we're all bent toward sin. Yep. Institutions, there, there is no existence without institutions of some form or the other. Mm-hmm. Um the, the family is an institution. There there is no procreation without uh family. Mm-hmm. Uh no, no future, literally no future without yep. family. Church is an institution. It's not it, it's more than an institution, but it's not less than an institution. And so there, mm-hmm. there are always going to be uh groupings of people. And when this uh when this listener says uh, institutions are by nature resistant to change. That's exactly right. And that works both in good ways and in bad ways. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I-
0: institutions yeah. are meant to say uh, this moment in time is not the only moment in time. Uh, you are connected to people coming before you you're mm-hmm. connected to people coming after you and so a tempering on some change mm-hmm. uh is a is a very good thing uh w- without it we would be given over to our worst and most anarchic yeah. uh, sorts of uh impulses and uh and in the and that inclination toward uh stability can be weaponized into something evil. Every virtue, every strength (laughs) in a person or in uh, an organization always can be. And so, uh, of course, this uh, listener is right. Um, I've seen uh, plenty (laughs) of people who have kind of outsourced their consciences uh, to Mm -hmm. their institutions, but institutions... Uh, institutions rely on people with formed consciences and people with formed consciences rely on institutions. Yeah. So if you, if you have a one or the other falling apart, uh, then you're going to have a dysfunctional mess. And so the question isn't, are, are institutions good or bad? Um, there are some institutions need to go. Uh, there are other institutions that need to be reformed. There are other institutions that need to uh, need to be created and and formed brand new. But you have to have both. Yeah. A- and if you don't, you're going to have you're going to have real trouble.
1: Ashley here. If you're looking for another podcast that features inspiring conversations with religious leaders, authors, and artists, then I recommend listening to the acclaimed podcast, No Small Endeavor. Produced by Great Feelings Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host Lee C. Camp sits down with special guests, like award-winning journalist and best-selling author Tim Alberta and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson to ask what it means to live a life worth living. You can even hear from Russell Moore on No Small Endeavor. If you're looking for somewhere to start, check out their new episode with Malcolm Gladwell. New York Times bestselling author and host of the wildly popular podcast, Revisionist History. They explore how Malcolm became a stellar storyteller, some of the things he may or may not regret, and so much more. Don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor wherever you get your podcasts. Given, you know, That institutional reality, and given your travel and your kind of pulse on on a lot of institutions, whether it's the church as an institution or colleges as an institution, what are you noticing amongst younger Gen Zers about their view of institutions?
0: I do not encounter what I think many people would uh, assume which is a institutions don't matter. Let's, uh, let's right. get rid of them. Um, nor do I, and, and I think there's a caricature of Gen Z uh, Christians, particularly that, oh, they're, they're, they're just kind of wanting to watch themselves on TikTok uh, sort of a right. thing. It's just not. True, at least among at least among Christians uh, that that I find, uh, I find younger Christians who are really uh, disappointed in institutions, mm. but they they're not disappointed in institutions because they're saying we shouldn't have them and they're shackling us. Mm. They're disappointed mm-hmm. in them because they're saying they're supposed to work a certain way. And they they promise certain things that they're not doing and they're not keeping. Mm. That's a different, that's a different sort of, mm-hmm. that's not anti-institutionalism. That's, um, yeah. that, that's really, uh, really seeing the importance mm-hmm. of institutions and seeing what happens when either they don't work or when they're working for evil.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a good accountability.
0: We've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the, the the but here's the here's the tricky part. In any, as somebody who's led institutions and uh, has, I, I've been a part of some institutions that were sick and in need of change. <laughs> and it, in in those circumstances, what has to happen is there has to be there has to be enough of a realization that the institution doesn't work for it to want to change. Yeah. without that institution just giving up on the possibility of, of changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and so you have to have, that's a very delicate uh, sometimes uh, kind of balance that takes mm-hmm. place. So you, we have a lot of institutions I don't think are going to survive. Yeah. Um, and we have other institutions that because they're so risk averse and they're wanting to um protect their stability um, are kind of pushing the trauma that they're going to have to endure out into the future. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of tumult that is, that is mandated by realities that people aren't willing to see right now. Mm -hmm. So what, that's why we have to have, um, we have to, we have to work with uh, both, Existing where we can, and in new institutions to shape and form a generation that actually will be able to lead those institutions toward health.
1: Yes, that's so encouraging. Um, just to me, as a, as a researcher and thinker, and um, and also a mom of some Gen Zers. So, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> the kids are all right. I mean, it's uh, they are they they are, and it's uh, it's it's really remarkable to me how every generation has this view of the next generation. That's just so dismissive and caricatured. Yeah. And, and when you actually encounter it, that's just, that's just not the reality. And, and yeah. and I think that's especially true right now.
1: It's good to be reminded, especially if we are in this kind of moment of cultural kind of shaking up um, yeah. to not, to not, Get those doomsday prophecies uh, too close. Right. Right. Um, our next question concerns kind of pastoral responsibility. So we'll take, you know, we've taken a broad view and we'll, we'll dive into a particular question here. Um, a pastor writes that his church is in an affluent area of California um, with several members who spend exactly six months and one day in non-tax states to take advantage of tax benefits. Um, but he asked a question, how does he begin to think about his pastoral obligation to them as members of his church? Does membership even make sense when they're not here half the year? Should they be someone else's responsibility when they're gone and mine when they're here? So how does how does a pastor take responsibility and shepherd his flock, particularly in this context?
0: Well, I've known churches that have, have had this uh, situation. One church um, particularly that I preached at one time that said, we have to have a certain size building because of the people who are here uh, winter to early spring, but then it looks empty during the summer because those people go back to wherever they're they're from, mm-hmm. Um I think there is, in those circumstances, you have to encourage those people to be accountable to a body uh, where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's gonna depend sometimes on the, the government and polity of, of your particular uh, church or tradition or a denomination. But even, even traditions that would say you can only belong to one church have some uh, category for in my Baptist tradition, we used to call it watch care mm-hmm. uh, membership. Where that that partic- that that very situation, we didn't have many people who were spending six months uh, <laughs> summering. That wasn't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, that's wasn't not the, the people thing. that's not <laughs> yeah. the people I come from. <laughs> but we but we do have people who would be um, transferred around in the military or be on an, you know an extended mm-hmm. sort of work uh, thing somewhere. And there's a category for uh, having a church to which one is uh, accountable, yeah. where where one is, uh, but then also having a responsibility to the church back home. So, mm-hmm. in most cases, that would mean um, you're being ministered to by the church where you are. Right. Yeah. There would be circumstances that I could see. You know, uh, maybe uh, this is somebody who um, gets in the middle of a of a divorce, or mm-hmm. a child dies, uh, or the person gets arrested. For I mean, there are any number of situations mm-hmm. where those churches would want to be in conversation with each other, right? Be able to say, "Look, we've got a serious situation here with Janet. We need to both be working uh, on that." Um, I, I think that's the the ideal.
1: You know, I guess I wonder, too, if there's a question be, you know, underneath that question about why they're leaving and if it's appropriate, how might that pastor deal with that question of, you know, are you trying to evade, you know, taxes and not actually a proper citizen?
0: Yeah, I, 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 that's what I, that's where I thought the question yeah. was going, and I think it would be different if what you had were people who were seeking to evade taxes, right? But that's not what they're seeking to do. Instead, they're working within the system, uh, the way that it is, A- and the system expects it to work that way. So I don't see, I don't see anything to bind somebody's conscience uh, about on that any more than I would say um, there's something wrong with a more, you know, more regular uh, situation Mm -hmm. where you're filling out your taxes and you're, you're finding those deductions and uh, things that you do rather than saying, well, you ought to be a good citizen and, and just, pay more than what taxes. they ask. I right. don't think that that's demanded yeah. of people morally.
1: Right. Okay. Thank you. Maybe that helps ease the past pastor's conscience a little bit too to to figure out how to disciple his people. So, yeah. um Now,
0: there's a question about their their uh, tithing. That's a different question. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's always fun to talk about money. Uh, but, but you know, as yeah. we think about um pastoral ministry, there is one more question about um leaving church or leaving a particular church or leaving ministry um and a woman writes in saying her husband served in ministry for over a decade at our church she came on staff when it was planted they've poured their hearts and soul into their sweet church and love so many members dearly but they've recently resigned due to leadership dysfunction and she asks You, given your own experience in leaving a church and leaving denominations, what might be some resources for for grieving this loss or this loss of ministry particularly?
0: Yeah. Well, in my case, it it was a ministry, and it was a denominational home. It wasn't a, a local church home. As a matter of fact, um, the church uh, to the church to which we belonged, and almost every church that we've ever uh, belonged to, um, has been super functional. Yeah. And um, and and. and one of those places you hate to um, you hate to ever leave. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a, a local church situation. I think that a couple things uh, here. One of those things is to recognize that God's providence is at work in ways that you can't see, mm-hmm. and so neglect the temptation to kind of go back and re decisions that you've already made. Um, and in some cases, I mean, in my case, I know I, uh, what I did was to say, I don't trust myself. Mm. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find people who know me mm-hmm. and yet don't have an interest in the situation
1: yeah,
0: um, it, mm-hmm. to say, Here's what's going on, what would you do? And so that was that was pretty much all of COVID for me. Mm-hmm. Uh was Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call with people I trusted, but I, I wouldn't do that with, say, um pastors in my denomination who right. I yeah. trusted and 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 really, but I but I I knew that it's not that I th- thought that I couldn't trust them in their confidence, it's because um, they would have a reason to think yeah. you should. And, and even if they didn't, I wouldn't know that they didn't. Right. And so yeah. finding those people that, that know you and can help you with your motives and, and also, um, also are able to more or less objectively look at the situation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that was really helpful to me is one person that I was talking to said to me, you're not trying to make a decision you've already made the decision mm-hmm. uh, and you just don't know it. So there mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. part of you that has made this decision and is screaming it to your mm-hmm. conscious mind mm-hmm. and, you're, and you just have to get in alignment with that. Mm-hmm. And so that may well be the case there. So, so don't go back and relate. And the other thing is, and this is really important, um, guard yourself against bitterness. Yeah, and here's how you can know that: mm-hmm. um, if you're able to pray for mm. the success of that church that you've left, mm. and rejoice when you see signs of those prayers coming true, mm. then you have a a, a sense of uh, being free from uh, bitterness because even even when you're in the right. Um, And even when you're 100% in the right and they're 100% in the wrong, you can be consumed by um, uh, just a a holding on to a record of all of those things Mm -hmm. in ways that just are not. that's That's not good for your soul.
1: Christianity Today, this is Mike Cosper. I'm the director of CT Media and one of the hosts of The Bulletin, a podcast about the people, events, and issues that are shaping our world. Each week on The Bulletin, we bring in a variety of guests for conversations about the most important questions Christians are asking. Our hope is to encourage the church to live with a faithful presence in a fallen world and to cut through the polarizing noise that's dividing not just the church, but the communities around us. New episodes of The Bulletin come out every Friday. So subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts. Any thoughts on how to go about that grieving process once the decision has been made? um, Besides, you know, making sure that that root of bitterness doesn't take root. What does grief, what does that process of lament and grieving look like? Or who might go with them?
0: If it's a genuine um, affection uh, for that church, the grief is going to be real. Mm -hmm. And it's it's every bit the same as grieving the loss of a person. Mm -hmm. Because in, in a lot of cases, it actually is what you're grieving mm-hmm. is not yeah. just ministry in that church but you're grieving uh friendships even if you still get along with all of those people there's yeah. a different i mean that that has changed yeah. so just like you would with a person you don't speed that up and put a timetable yeah. on it um you you instead expect that to be the case i mean my i decided to Leave my place of service that had been my dream job since I was nineteen, and the, the and what I I really thought people would say this is the reason you were born is <laughs> yeah. for this, and I I I believed uh, that to some degree um, in a denominational tradition that I loved and love, mm-hmm. and it's. At the same time, I lost my father in um, during COVID in the in the fall of 2020. Around the same time that I was trying to make this decision, and what I have realized as time has gone on is that those two things are mm-hmm. remarkably similar. Um, in, in terms of um, my dad died, I I was able to sort of put myself into action and write the eulogy, work on the funeral, get everybody together. And as recently as right before I came in here to record this, a particular song comes uh, you know on my on my Spotify and I start uh, sobbing, crying. The, the answer to the you know the way that I, I deal with that is not to say, Oh, you should be over the loss of your dad by now. yeah. It's to say you really loved him and mm. Um, mm. and you're always to some degree going to to grieve. And yeah. it's the exact same thing. I mean if you think of uh, the church as our mother, um, I feel like I lost my mom, no. No. church mom and dad at the same time and it's the same experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say just don't, don't rush yourself on that. And the final thing I would say, and I said this to somebody as recently as this past uh, Sunday, uh, is to say sometimes when you come out of a bad church situation, there's a an impulse to say, I'm going to pull back and heal up Mm-hmm. And uh, what you think is that you're going to kind of go away and heal up until you're you're whole again, and mm-hmm. then you can reengage in ministry of some kind. And it doesn't work that way because there's never going to come a point where you're going to say, uh, "Okay, that's all over." <laughs> Now yeah. I'm ready to. Now I'm ready to serve. Mm-hmm. So I would have a different. I would have different counsel for somebody who said, "I'm just going to go right from some traumatic situation right. into, you know, frenetic activity." But right. but for people who are really uh, sometimes there's there's fear there mm-hmm. that's justifiable fear mm-hmm. that that says, "I don't want that to happen again." But the problem is if you let that fear direct you, it's only yeah. going to increase mm. and you're only going to become more and more scared of using your gifts and engaging uh, in yeah. ministry. So just, uh, I would say, watch that.
1: Mm. You know, I'm struck with, in all of our conversation today, the the connection of moving from a posture of fear or of scarcity or um, you know the vulnerability of loss of grief of dysfunction um that happens when we are open to to people and institutions
0: yeah you 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 can't protect yourself from getting hurt mm-hmm. um if you're actually involved in loving people yeah. your, your yeah. people mm-hmm. will hurt you and that's the reason you're able to love yeah so. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, and and that goes to every sort of uh, relationship. If you think um, parenting, um, I I want to be in a situation where I know all the right things to do so that this child will never hurt me. (laughs) the child will hurt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only way the only way the child yeah. won't disappoint you or hurt you in some way or the other or even you just hurt for the child in some way, the only way you could do that is by becoming a sociopath right. who just doesn't care. Yeah. And yeah. that's no place to be. Right. Yes.
1: We are uh, wounded healers. Um, yeah. Right. Well, thank you, Russell, for your own vulnerability and for loving your listeners as well. Um, it's always a pleasure to chat. And if you listener have a question for Dr. Russell Moore, please make sure to send it to us at questions at RussellMore.com. Thanks. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cospert. Hosted by Russell Moore. Produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Azari Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Production assistance provided by Core Media. Audio engineer is Kevin Duthu. Coordinator is Beth Grabencourt. Video producer is John Rowland. The theme song for the Russell Moore show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton.